back to the point of, you know, getting to- tossed in the deep end, you know, I'm doing stand up for about two years. I think I'm the fastest comic to ever get a, a network special at Showtime. So I was like, no, f- for the most part, people are like, oh, this guy's been doing two years. This is good for him. No, man. When you do that, what happens is it actually pushes you further away from them. We're live now. Brendan Shop, what's going on? I'm Sam. This is Sean. Um, we just get right into things, but we, uh, Sean and I have been huge fans of you for a long time. You were both huge UFC fans. We go to a, a bunch of those shows. Been watching you on Fire the Kid for a while. Uh, then the show with Theo Vaughn. Yeah. That was awesome. So we've been fans forever. I think uh, we each actually might have a Thick Boy shirt. I so, love it. Uh, I don't so, have the shirt, just the body, actually. So <laughs> I'm a real fan. <laughs> I, went all, I went all the way. Thick's in the heart, fellas. Thick's in the heart. I don't drink. Otherwise, I would have your, your whiskey. Whiskey, but, yeah. Uh, but, you know, you do lots of stuff. Uh, like, I'll, I'll kind of give, like, what I know about you. But basically... You were you're from Colorado, played a little bit uh, in the NFL. I don't know if you actually made the cut entirely, but you were like very serious uh, for the Broncos. Went into the UFC. You did awesome. You knocked out some great guys. Um, yep. And then uh, you got into show business via podcast. So you originally were just on Joe Rogan a bunch, eventually launched your own thing. And now you have Fighter and the Kid, but you also have like three or four other podcasts, right? That I don't know how 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 big are they? I mean, I know that you get you have mil, uh, hundreds of thousands of subscribers, and I, each video gets like hundreds of thousands of views. But mm-hmm. I actually don't know like how big the empire is. Yeah, sure. So just going back to like the football. Yeah, so I played uh, uh, at University of Colorado for the Buffs, who they just got Deion Sanders. So I'm excited about that. Um, and then I had a a cup of coffee with the Buffalo Bills and I got there and they're like, we're all set on slow white guys. So that broke my heart. <laughs> and then I, uh, <laughs> and then I, uh, yeah. Then from there I was selling supplements door to door, like pursuit of happiness style. And then I started training in jujitsu and boxing. And then next thing you know, you know, I'm fighting grown men in a steel cage, in my underwear. And then, uh, two years after I started training, I was, uh, uh, in the UFC, I made it through uh, the Ultimate Fighter, where I was a finalist there. With Kimbo Slice, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was the biggest season with Rashad Evans and Rampage uh, Jackson. So, yeah, and then, you know, shortly after that, you know, there's a common theme in my life. It's like I get put in the deep end, man. It goes zero to 100 in every aspect of my life. It's just this common theme throughout my entire career, whether it's comedy, football, fighting, whatever it is, podcasting, I get thrown in the deep end and I got to figure it out. So, uh, I was in the UFC and then probably two years in the UFC, I'm next thing you know, I'm ranked top 10 in the world, you know, and it was terrifying. Um, but then slowly after that, I, um, I moved to LA cause I grew up in, uh, Venice beach in the summers at my uncle's house when I was a, a, a young boy, my dad would always bring me out here for the summers. So I always felt, you know, a weird connection to Los Angeles. So once I could make the move, I made the move and then I started a podcast. This is damn near. 11 years ago, 12 years ago, I started a podcast called The Fighter and the Kid with Brian Callen. And yeah, that thing took off. And then now, fast forward to 2023, I own a, uh, a podcast network. So uh, Think Boy Network, where we have, uh, you know, probably around seven shows, you know? So yeah, so between The Fighter and the Kid, The Shop Show, Food Truck Diaries, uh, Fight Companion, uh, The Golden Hour, 
you know, it's, uh, it's going well. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. All right, quick message from our sponsor. We know that growing pains hurt. And when you're a startup sales team, you know that pain all too well. Thankfully, there's the HubSpot for Startups program. It's a special program that gives startups discounts on HubSpot. The platform unites your entire front office from marketing to sales to support. Plus, they have a ton of other resources that startup founders can use to scale. So get ready to close more deals and make growing pains a thing of the past. Visit HubSpot.com slash startups to see how much you can save. Yeah, your uh, your output's pretty insane. And you know, the thing about, you you said you got thrown in the deep end and, and you're kind of right, like transitioning from football to UFC was a really short transition. And then you're doing it at the, kind of the high level. You're in the actual UFC. It takes most guys like, a long, long amateur journey. Then they go to a small promotion. Then they go to a bigger promotion. You kind of fast track that. And then in comedy, you did the same thing where you kind of went from, I'm a UFC fighter to I'm a comedian to I got a special on Showtime really fast. And I think there's yeah. probably, I don't know. I don't know how you think about it now, but like there's good and bad with, with that fast track. On one hand, you learn fast. On the other hand, you kind of get your ass kicked because you're pushing the boundary further than maybe you were ready for or had well had you're done. Le- and you're learning publicly yeah there you go correct so it's uh you know in hindsight looking at it e- even when i was in the ufc and in comedy i just I, I wish i had people around me that went slow down man now i'm fighting you don't really have that option once you're in the ufc you know it's the big league so they you know they call you with Mirko Krokop or matt matrione or you know Brock Lesnar, you got to take the fight. So you really don't have control there. <clears throat> I could have been smarter about making decisions, but I was young, you know, and had a lot of belief in myself. And, you know, eventually that experience catches up with you. You know, I, I was a lot more athletic than a lot of those heavyweights. That's why I excelled so fast. But again, that's a blessing and a curse because <clears throat> you get to a level where you're fighting these vets with 40, 50 fights and they've seen a athletic dude you know with a good right hand and you know good wrestling but you know eventually you know you're this cheat code and it catches up to you and you, there's nothing replaces experience so um that was a blessing and a curse a blessing as far as i was able to transition get out and build a fan base and go into something i've always wanted to do and then in comedy you know really you know it's true when i started comedy you know um I have some great mentors, you know, and Joe Rogan's like a brother and Brian Callen and Theo Vaughn and Tom Segura and Burt Kreischer and Joey Diaz. So I have just this plethora of just amazing comics that I was around. And I, I, I was always, you know, I'd go to dinner with them and do all, you know, the podcasts with them, make them laugh. And they all encourage me to do stand up, which I, you know, always wanted to do since I was a child. So you know, everyone told me it's, it's going to be 10 years before you find your voice. I'm like, yeah, that, you know, I'm never scared of hard work. Let's do it. So the, the issue with that is, you know, I get catapulted, you know, I'm instead of doing open mics, you know, one of my first uh, things I did was, uh, you know, Chicago theater, you know, um, the Vic theater, but which how, how did you out. even start? Because it's a big jump from, oh, this dude's funny when we hang out. Cracks jokes, bus ball. Oh, oh yeah, this guy. This guy's good. He's, he's a funny guy. To you're on stage and you got to do a set. That's like that's like a it's, it's like a different thing altogether. And you know, me and Sam, we try to like um, we we try to be uh, funny in our little pond. It's like you don't have to be yeah. that funny to be the funniest business podcast. So we're we're we're, we're a dwarf among midgets, is what we are. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like everyone has that funny uncle at the party, you know. And if you're you know, if your your brother's like, man, I think you're really funny. That there's a big difference between your family and friends going, oh, you're funny, man. You should try stand up, and then 
Burt Kreischer, Joe Rogan, Joey Diaz, Brian Callen, Chris D'Elia, and Theo Vaughn going, dude, you need to stand up. But what, you know, you got, what did you, you even got, do, though, to, to develop that first set? Are you reading a book? Are you uh, are you just no, going to Joe no Rogan's books. house with a notepad and being like, hey, no, how do I write this shit? No, no it's like sink or swim. So, you know, I had my 10,000 rep, reps on podcasts with co- comedians keeping up with them, making them laugh, being, you know, really quick at it. And then really... It, it's almost the perfect situation in order to get started in stand-up because the Find the Kid got, you know, so popular. We do live Find the Kids. But remember, Brian Kelly's been doing comedy for 30 years. So when they we got offered to do a live Find the Kid, I told Brian, I'm like, you ever been to a live podcast? They suck. It's two guys they on suck. the mic. They, they're the worst, dude. And Brian goes, no, man. No, no, I've been show business for 30 years. We're going to do a performance. So I go, okay, what do you want to do? So we came up with this whole idea to make it a show. And uh, Brian at the time knew I wanted to do stand up, but he didn't want to, I guess, scare me because it is scary, you know, especially doing in front of these sold out crowds when most people are doing open mics with 15 other salty comets, you know. So for me, you know, doing it in a sold out crowd, Brian go, all right, here, because Brian was always late to the podcast. You know, I'm, I'm very professional. I'm, I'm, I'm not late. I'm never late. And whatever, 12 years of podcast, I've never been late. It's not what I do. So, Brian would be late and he used to drive me nuts. I used to roast him every time he'd come in late. He was like, so our first live show, let's keep up with the theme. We're going to pretend I'm late. I'm not there. And you got to start the show by yourself. So you're going to tell a story for 10 minutes and I'll come in, you get all upset. We do the whole act. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, I can handle that. So I'd tell a story because I was good at telling stories. So that carries on for, you know, four or five shows. And then again, we're at, I forget, probably Portland or Seattle, some sold out theater. And, uh, I'm backstage before the the crowd. I'm pretty nervous. I tell Brian, I go, man, I don't know what story I'm going to tell. And, you know, Brian was like frantic. He was, you know, again, he's looking for something. He goes, what? I, go, I don't know what story I'm going to tell you. What are you talking about? Story? No, you're doing stand-up, dumbass. I was like, oh. And then it just clicked. I'm like, oh, so storytelling. You just told me that because you didn't want to scare me. He goes, crap, you're doing stand-up, dude. And I was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. So. Shortly after that, I come to the realization, like, this is stand-up. It's just your way of doing it. So then um, we do a live fight with the kid at the comedy store, you know, the world-famous comedy store, which as a kid was like, you know, the Mecca. It's like Madison Square Garden for basketball. So I, uh, we do the comedy store. Goes great. And then six weeks or six days later, I'm driving. I get a call from the manager of the comedy store, Emily, and she calls me and she goes, Hey, Brad, this is Emily at the Comedy Store. You're like, how are you doing? She was great show the other day. I'm like, thank you. She goes, hey, we're seeing if you'd like to do a set in the belly room. See, give, give you six minutes. I go, let me call Brian Cal and see if he's available. She goes, no, dumbass. Just you. You had a great set the other night. I'm like, me? You want me to do stand-up at the Comedy Store? She goes, yeah, it's, a, it's in the small room, the belly room. But if you want six minutes, it's yours. So I was like, say less. So I did that. And then huh, there was huh. just, you know, that was in 2000. 14, 2015 ish, like early 2015, probably right around end of 2014. And then just, you know, you get that bug and then it's off to the races, man. You know, I knew it was, you know, it takes a, takes a lot of work, but back to the point of, you know, getting tossed in the deep end, you know, I'm doing stand up for about two years. I think I'm the fastest comic to ever get a, a network special at Showtime. And, you know, I, I, I just, in in my eyes, I thought at the time, oh, I'm proud of that special. Don't get me wrong. I, I challenge any comic who's been at two years, two years to do a network special and have 60 minutes, you know? Now, is it as good as Bill Burr's special? No. But in my head, I thought people would see that and go, oh, my God, for only doing two years? Look at this guy. 
think how much better he's going to get in four years and five years and 10 years and fi- where's going to be on 15 years. But a lot of people don't have that insight. They, they don't just, give a shit about that. They, yeah, they don't <laughs> see it like that. And, you know, I, and again, you know, this is a while ago. So I was young and I've, I always, it, it might be, it could be an asset or it could be a huge gaping hole that I have, but I always see the best in people in society. Like I don't pay attention to, Hey, everything's all good. You know, I just, I, you know, I gravitate towards positivity. So I was like, no, f- for the most part, people are like, oh, this guy's been two years. This is good for him. No, man. When you do that, what happens is it actually pushes you further away from them. I thought it would bring me closer to being legit and be like my peers. No, it pushes you farther away because a lot of those guys that I mentioned earlier on, and even outside of those guys, a lot of famous comedians, it took them 15, 20 years to get a network special. So there's a lot of, it's not even jealousy. It's just like, you know, it just it rubs people the wrong way. And I didn't see that coming. I got to be honest. And I don't think really anybody did, you know, right. but it is what it is. You know, you do that and then you move on and you just keep grinding and you go to the next one, the next one. So, um, yeah, it's been interesting, man. It's been really interesting. I learned on the fly. I also learned the hardest way. That's the only way I make changes. I learned the hard way. So, um, I, you know, I wouldn't change anything, you know, things are pretty good. Are you the the CEO of the network now? I mean, how, yes, how are you? So you're having to be the talent and you're running the business? Yeah, heavy lies the crown, man. So I grew up in a, a business-minded family. My dad's an entrepreneur. Um, you know, he's always been business-minded. I have a, a, a double major from University of Colorado in sociology and business. So I always gravitated towards business. And, you know, I worked for Showtime for six years. I built their entire, you know, podcast branch, which is crushing it now. And shout out to Brian Daly. And, you know, at the end of six years, so this is December last year, 2022, six months prior, they offered me another six-year contract. And I, I was just looking around and Showtime was great to me. You know, I was getting a salary and, you know, they're reaping all the benefits. And it was good for both sides. I just thought, man, I... I feel like I could do this on my own. You know, I am an entrepreneur. I feel like I could, I see what they've built and, you know, and I've helped them out a lot. They've helped me out a lot. I feel like I can invest in myself and do this on my own. So I turned down the contract and was like, I'm going to do it on my own. Start Thick Boy Studios. And I owned all the IPs to the, all the shows that I started with them. So I brought that over. And it's, just, you know, it, in hindsight, I didn't just, you know, I didn't really know who to talk to. No, nobody in my lane kind of has done this where you leave a major network in podcasting and bring it over on your own. And it's, it's a different animal when you're not only talent, but you're also running. Did you, the ra- business did you raise side. money for that or did you just self-fund it? What'd you do? Yeah. I self-funded it from all the other shows and stand up. I just put all my money into that. And, and so then whenever I start a new thing, I'm like, you know, people are like, Oh, congrats. And I'm like, ah, Ask me in a year. Like, we'll find out. What's well, going to be fun to find out, like, this is either a bad idea, it's an all right idea, or it's an amazing idea. We'll find out because, you know, I go into things relatively blind. Like, I don't do a ton of research before I go into things, but I, you know, I got confidence. I'll figure things out eventually. But the reality is that some some ideas are better than others. So a year in now, owning your own podcast network, is this a bad idea? Good. Okay. Good idea. Or is it an amazing, is it an amazing business? I think it's still too early to tell, oh, meaning we're a year in. Financially, am I making more money? Yes. But, you know, that can't just be the the main focus, you know, because my life's more complicated. You know, my life's more complicated. I have less free time. So what's that worth? You right. know, so there's like these pros and cons I didn't think about because at Showtime, 
I was the talent. I would create shows. They would make it happen, you know, and they would have the employees and the creative team and the producers and the editors. And I was, I would come up with ideas. They would execute it. I would sit down, knock it out. Great. Get paid for that and move on and just not worry about, to, you know, the next day or the next week. Now it's a little different. Now, you know, um, I would say one of my biggest kind of um, faults is not like I'm, I'm a control freak. So I need help and, and I'm getting there. And I just, you know, you want somebody to care as much about your business as you do. That's impossible to find. And, you know, with Showtime, they're CBS. So they're doing all the right stuff as far as hiring and, you know, and bringing the right people. And I didn't take that into consideration. Like hiring, you know, hard is to find good employees and people that actually care and can get the job done. They mold with the team and gel with the team. So it's just those kind of dynamics I didn't think about. And then also when you're at Showtime, you know, for six years and we started with zero subscribers, and then six years later at like 600,000, you know, a well-known in the space, we're up for awards. You're starting from dead zero again. Start, so that six years that you built for them, that doesn't come with you. I don't own that Showtime page. That's there. So you just start from zero again. I think we're at like 160, 170,000 now a year in, which isn't bad, but it's, you know, it, it takes time to keep chipping away, chipping away. So. All right, everyone, a quick break, because I want to fill you in on a little experiment that I'm doing. I've got a new project. It's called MoneyWise. It's a personal finance podcast for high net worth people or young people who are on their way to becoming high net worth. When I made a little bit of money, I didn't even know how much money I should be spending each month. Should it be 10,000, 30,000, 50,000? And I didn't really have a lot of people to ask. So I created a podcast called MoneyWise because I wanted to figure out what are some of the things that people who have a lot of cash and who have a high net worth, what do they do with it? The first episode is with a friend of mine. He sold his company for $200 million when he was 31 years old. He gets super transparent about his monthly expenses, his portfolio, how it impacts his happiness, everything. And so I want you guys to check it out. It's called Money Wise. That's one word. You can find it on my Twitter bio. I'm the Sam Parr. Or you can just type in Money Wise on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. All right, back to the pod. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about the HubSpot Podcast Network. If you like podcasts like this, you should check out some other cool podcasts. One is called Business Made Simple. It's hosted by Donald Miller, and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. And what he does is he makes it easy to take the mystery out of growing your business. There's an episode that you should check out called What You Should Put in a Job Description to Get the Perfect Hire. And in this episode, Donald Miller looks at the whole hiring process and how important it is to emphasize both the, the positive attributes and the drawbacks to future candidates. And you'll learn why being self-aware as a leader will help you avoid hiring disasters. So check it out. Go listen to Business Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. Well, what about a listener? Like Sean and I, the metrics that we know is downloads, which is we describe downloads as like Spotify, YouTube, and also iTunes and all that shit. Uh -huh. What do you? What, what's the size of your biggest show? I think is Fire and the Kid. What what size are you guys at now for that? We we do we look at it per episode because otherwise you can get a lot of downloads if you just pump out more and more episodes. Like per Correct. episode is the real real deal for I think for for these shows. Well, see, so Fire and the Kid and the Golden Hour, which is formerly known as King of the Sting with Theo Vaughn. So Fire and the Kid and King of the Sting, even though they're on the Think Boy Network, those haven't changed. They're just under my banner. But those have those those weren't part of Showtime at all. Showtime was uh, Below the Belt, which is now the Shop Show, Food Truck Diaries, um, and some other shows. And then I wasn't doing Fight Campaign with them. That's all new. So, you know, I would say probably cut my audience in half. You know, probably, probably in half. 
But and what but what's the fighter and the kid at? Fighting the kid. I mean, now now we're going down. Uh, you know, you're going down a a different road because there's factors there that have, you know, caused that show. Like, you know, when you're doing it for 12 years, it's like this. You know, it's like this. So, you know, we've been as high as 600,000 episode, as low as 100,000 episode. So that that and it's you know, there's been some outlying factors, you know, that that caused those issues. So. Each, and then with the changing of King of the Sting with Theo leaving, you're talking about a whole new show. So you start from basically from scratch again to start with Chris D'Elia and Eric Griffin. It's a completely different show. The dynamics completely different. So you're reinducing that show to kind of a, the, although it, there was an audience there, I think we're at 500,000 subscribers. Those 500,000 subscribers were there for Theo Vaughn and Brendan Schaub. So right. when you go, all right, well, here's Brendan and Chris D'Elia and Eric. Some people will know we like the dynamic with Theo and Brendan. So that's fairly new, you know, that's about six months old. So, you know, that one's probably around 150, 200,000 just on YouTube. But um, I think a lot of people in podcasting, because it's the thing in 2023 is they look at YouTube, 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 YouTube. Audio's king. For the most part, people listen to podcasts on their way to work or when they're at the office. Nobody's sitting down watching a podcast for two hours or three hours, really, however long your podcast is. The audio is key. So my main metric that I focus on is always audio. Now, if audio starts to go down, we got problems. Yeah, we're at like, when we'll, we'll have guests on every once in a while and they'll be like, are you guys big? And, and they'll just look at the YouTube and like our YouTube only gets like 30,000, 20,000, all the way up to 200,000 per episode. But then our audio, it's like consistently 100, 200,000 ish or something like that, like consistently every yeah, single crushing. time. Crushing. And, that, and that's crushing it. And I'm like, no, it's pretty big. It's just like you can't see those numbers. But our our audio, I mean, it's like that's like as true to subscription as you can get because it's just consistently a big audio's reach. king. Yeah, audio's king. But this new generation of podcasters coming in, you know, they see the Logan Pauls or the Andrew Schultz of the world, and you know, Rogan was massive on YouTube. But it's again, it, and I don't know what Logan Paul's numbers are as far as audio. Logan Paul's a buddy. I guess I could find out, but because he's a YouTuber, his, his numbers are massive on YouTube. I'd be curious to see what his audio is like. Cause again, audio is king in podcasting. So I never focus on YouTube too much. Now, if there's a decline, you're like, all right, we got to figure this out and we'll work through it. But if my audio solid, I don't, you know, I'm not, there's no red flags. What's your ambition level in terms of this business? Like are you are you are you thinking like I think we can get to ten million in revenue, or is it like I want to exit for a hundred million? I think we can get to fifty million in revenue. Where do you where, where's like your not quite north star, but like your two three five year goal? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, Rob Derdick's a good buddy, and he's such a, I don't know. Yeah, Rob Derrick would be great for you guys. We, we, we've had we've had him on, and he killed it. We 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 were a I I think we were a little bit early in his like public business persona and we had him and he blew us away. He was amazing. Yeah, I, I, I've known Rob for years. So I always knew he was just like so volatile when it comes to business. He makes so many great decisions. And he came into the Thick Boy Studios here in Calabasas and I was probably, I don't know, two or three months into it, you know, so you're still trying to figure it out. And he's looking around and he's like, man, this is cool. And he's asking all these questions. They kept going, you know, what's your goal? What's your goal? What's your goal? And finally, I think he was even on there. I'm like, you got to chill, dude. I was like, I'm, 
Let me get to cruising altitude and get to Wi-Fi before I start figuring out goals. Like this thing's just taking off. Once I get to cruising altitude, I'll let you know the goal. So we're kind of getting to cruising altitude. I, I, you know, I don't know what the goal is. I think once I get to the network where I think it could be at, then I would start looking at other options. But the other thing I would say too, when, as far as business, whether it's whiskey, merge, whatever it is, even stand up podcasting, I've never done anything for money ever. I do it because I love to do it and it's fun for me and it's what I want to do. And if it makes money, fantastic, man, that's great. But if it doesn't, all good. It's something I want to do. So hopefully this thing goes great and makes a ton of money and I can retire. When I say retire, do less shows, but with just more money in the bank. But um, I love doing it. That's why I started it. So so hopefully, you know, when we do this show in, you know, three years or five years, I'm talking to you guys and we're celebrating some big moment. But I can't tell you what that looks like. And that might be a problem. I mean, you guys are the business guys. Is that a problem that I don't have? Sort some sort of end goal here, even though I'm a think, year. So, so I don't think you got to have an uh, end. Like what people want, like a five year plan. And you're, you're kind of taught this at a young age. Like you're 18 years old. What you gonna major in? I, I like, ah, dude, I don't know. I don't know shit about shit yet. Um, yep. And so people are often pushing for that. It's great when you have it. So I always say that if you know the direction you want to go, you know the outcome. It's great when you have it. But the reality is most people don't have it right off the jump, and that's totally normal. You just got to get in motion, get momentum, because as you start yep. going, you'll start navigating. You'll, start, you'll get a better vantage point. It's like you start climbing yep. the mountain, you're higher up, you can see more, and that'll give exactly. you a little more. But I do what I do think helps is a vision for your life. So a vision for like what what kind of what do you want to do with your life, your talents, or like so for example, I might not know. Oh, I'm trying to hit this revenue target. Or I'm trying to sell in X years or whatever. But I do usually know. Man, it'd be fucking awesome if. Dude, what if my job was I literally get to sit down with my friend Sam and we just shoot the shit about business? And what if there were millions of people listening to that? Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, all right. That's literally when I started this podcast. It was I was walking around with a friend. We had just signed the paperwork to sell my my first company. And he was like, what do you want to do next? And in Silicon Valley, where I live, there's only one answer. I'm going to start another company. It's going to be bigger and badder than the yeah. one before that. There's only one socially acceptable answer in Silicon Valley. It's like in Hollywood. If you're not trying to make it, what are you doing here? And yeah. so, but I gave him the honest answer. I go, you know what? I think what Tim Ferriss does is awesome. It seems like that dude gets to wake up, just be curious about shit, run experiments, learn about things. And then he just takes the coolest stuff he learns. He, he just gets to talk about it. And a million people have him in, in their ears and he gets to influence a million smart people by sharing little nuggets. I go, that would be awesome. I want to be in a, a million people's earballs. And that's just what I kept saying. I want to be in a million people's earballs. And he was like, dude, I never even heard that word. But like, I, he, go, he goes, that's a like a, that's like a vision for like what would be an awesome life. So I, I think that sometimes you don't have to have the number, but it is cool to have a man. That'd be awesome if my life was X or if I was able to do that, do X. I remember. uh I remember talking to you guys know Justin Khan. Justin Khan. So Sean actually sold his company to Twitch. Justin Khan's one of the guys who started Twitch. You know, they sold it for a billion dollars. I, I I was talking to him backstage one time, like two years or three years after the sale. We were at uh, an event I was hosting, and he was like, uh, "I was like, what are you gonna do next, Justin?" And he goes, 10 billion. I want to go after ten billion. And uh, it didn't work. It didn't work out for him, by the way. It didn't work yeah. out. And like he, I I remember I read like this blog post where he was like. I was motivated to like outdo what I did before, partially out of like, it was like, a, it was like rage, like out of rage and out of like a chip on my shoulder, which is actually, yep. I think, great fuel. But like, I was in it for the wrong motivations and it, and it didn't work out. But yep. 
something Sean has said that I said it differently, but he said it better, which was uh, ABZ, which is like, I, I like to do this all the time. I'm like, all right, step one is A, step two is B. I don't need to worry about anything else in between that, but step Correct. Z is like one step. day, yeah. maybe, maybe one day this becomes a billion dollar company, but let's just focus on getting to a million in revenue or let's just focus on like paying the rent. And then after that, maybe we could hire a handful of people and then I'll figure out the rest. But maybe one day it could become this. And that's like a fun way to like, that's like a fun North Star to like help some decision making. It's also very motivational. You're like, I'm doing this for this reason. Yes, to reach this it's many also people. less pressure. It's also it's less pressure where, you know, I, and you know, I think having that entrepreneur spirit that I was born with from my dad, um, you guys, it seems like you guys have the same thing too. You'd have to be the success you've reached. Uh, you know, I never stop and smell the roses ever. It's always what's next. What are we going to do next? And what makes this successful? And this next thing, the next thing in, in my sports career and even in comedy, I've never just stopped and, you know, smelled the roses. I'm constantly, constantly pushing, constantly pushing. You know, I don't know if that leads to a happier life. You know, I think sometimes you need to check and go, if you're doing, it's all good, man. If nothing changes, your life's pretty freaking great, man. If you just stay here, it, it, it's all good. But I, I wish I was more like that. You know, I, I I don't know what else I could get that would make me happy. I, I guess if, uh, you know, if I'd have to fly commercial, my life would change. That'd be great, you know. But outside that, like, things are good. Fly, fly private? You mean? You, yeah, if I, yeah, if yeah. I didn't have to fly commercial. I hate flying. But Well, uh, you, hey, I, I see you got the nice 911s. You got the cool Ferraris. I mean, you got the toys. Yeah, private's yeah. a, ni a nice next you, step. Yeah, if you would have told 10-year-old Brendan, you know, some of the stuff you'd be doing, some of the stuff you'd have, you'd be like, holy man, this is insane, dude. Good for you. You made it. But I don't feel like we, that. We, we always talk about that on the pod. We say, a lot of people ask, like, what advice would you give your 21-year-old self or your 15-year-old your, your self? And we ask the opposite questions. Like, what would our 15-year-old self say to us now? If it could look yeah. at our life now, be like... Dude, you're unhappy. Look at your shit, man. Like, are you joking? You got to marry her and you get to do this every yeah. day. Like, you better be smiling, bro. Like, that's what I, that's what my teenage self would be telling me right now. Uh, and that's almost a good reminder. It's like, like I always say dogs and kids got it figured out. And uh, oh, I, I want to be more like, my, I want to learn more and be more like my dog and my kids. Because oh, all day is play. Everything is good. They're happy. They're yes. grateful. Like, we get, we get things screwed up when we get older. And, and do you guys have kids? I got two little ones. Yeah, I have a seven and three-year-old. And I don't think I've ever been as happy in my life as my two boys were yesterday. I bought them two, <laughs> uh, I bought them three lizards. I was like, man, if I could just, <laughs> that level of happiness. <laughs> one time. Bearded lizards, one time, my life is complete. Yeah, kids give you a different perspective on things, man. You know, I might be stressed out about work or something. I come home and that stuff goes out the window. You know, there's nothing better than being a dad. Uh, Tony Robbins, if, if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever been to one of his events or, or looked into no, his, his stuff, but like uh, most people think, oh, Tony Robbins, I, I don't need motivation or that's like a cult thing or whatever. I've been to a bunch of them and I, I found it really, really useful. It's, it's a good, I don't know, I'm not very religious, so it's a good operating philosophy for life. But one of the things he says is he's like, you got on one hand, the, the, the sort of the, the science of success. And that's kind of, I think what you've kind of done, done well, which is whether I'm going into football or fighting, or comedy, or podcasting, or now the business side, there's the the science of success is basically like, there's an approach to set, you know, figuring out a target, working hard every day, making progress, like taking it seriously, all that stuff. And then there's the art of fulfillment. And they're unrelated. 
And if you want to have like the full, the, the complete life, you got to figure out, oh, just like I learned the skills of how to be successful, I got to learn the skills of how to be fulfilled. And the, right. the magic happens when you sort of integrate the two. Can you both like create new projects and try to be successful while being fulfilled? Because what most people do is they go for that success thing, mostly from a point of view of like, um, you know, trying to prove themselves or it's like, it's like yeah. some, some insecurity a lot of times that, that will drive it. No, I love that. Yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, for me, I, I do a pretty good job. I'm trying to stop and smell the roses a little bit, so I'm doing a better job. My kids help me get there. And then I think a lot of mistakes that people make, whether it's business, entertainment, you know, stand-up comedians, is, especially with social media now, that's why I'm not a big social media guy, is you can always compare yourself to somebody doing better. So for your friend that made a billion, next thing was 10 billion, because he saw a guy make 10 billion. So if you're constantly chasing that, comparing yourself to others, that's where the happiness never comes. So I try not to compare myself to the others, especially me, because my journey's so different than those guys that I look up to. So, you know, my journey's going to be different, man, whatever that looks like. And I just have to accept that, which I try to do. I was reading something yesterday that reminded me of you, Brendan, which was, uh, I was reading a blog post. Sam put out this great tweet asking for what's the best blog post you ever read. And one of them was this thing called the, the, uh, the, what was it? The physics of passion. And he basically goes, uh, there's this thing called the Kool-Aid point. So he draws this graph. He's like, as you, as you do shit and people start to like your work or, or admire you or love you or become a fan of you, you'll, it kind of grows steady, steady, steady. And then there's this point, uh, he calls this the Kool-Aid point where it kind of takes off. It goes, then you're going to have two groups of people. You're going to have a bunch of people yeah. that love you and a few people that yeah. hate you. And he goes, yeah. what happens is, and he goes, here's how you'll know you're there. People accuse your fans of just drinking the Kool-Aid. They love everything you do, but sight unseen, and they're the Kool-Aid drinkers. And that's how you know. Yeah. If you have people that, that can be described as that, you've hit the Kool-Aid point. Yeah, goes, I love that. <laughs> on, on the other side, you're going to have people who want to tear you down, uh, the haters, you know, quote unquote. And, um, and, and, you know, at first they're, they're, they're always a small group, but they're kind of loud. And some people even support them and be like, oh, you're, you're speaking truth to power. You're, you're calling it like it is you're, you're kind of exposing this person or this, this brand or whatever it is. Yep. And you got both. And it, so I was reading yeah. that and I knew we had this pod today and I was like, oh dude, he's, he's lived, he's lived that point because yeah, you know, you have, for people who don't know, you got a big fan base. You got a yeah. big anti-fan base and yes, uh, the anti-fan base, I think is on, on Reddit. I go to this subreddit a bunch, but I'm not like, like I, it's weird. I like you, but I also find it funny. Like they're these, so clever. These people and are kind of so funny, but they're also funny in the same way. Like it's kind of this, this double thing. I'm curious, like for you, obviously that's like, you know, it's probably funny for me cause I'm outside of it. I'm not the person that's the butt of the joke in, in some of these cases, mm -hmm. but you know, me and Sam got maybe one one hundredth of the like kind of the the passion and hate that you that you have because you've been doing this a long time. You've you've made it yeah. pretty big. But when I read our YouTube comments and I see something like that, it stings in the moment. But also, there's a lot of times where I'm like, they're not wrong. Like, you know, uh, there there is some truth to where they're they're being a dick about it. But there's some truth to where, where what they're saying. I, I could see that. I'm curious mm -hmm. for you when you when you hear about the the sort of the stuff on the subreddit or you check it out or whatever. Do you have any moments where you're like, "All right, they're kind of being mean about it, or they're being a dick about it," but there's some truth to what they're saying? I mean, yeah, I'm sure. You know, I don't. In all honesty, I I don't pay attention to it. I think you, it's a it's a bad thing whether you pay attention to the negativity or the positivity. Yeah, I think you just got to keep doing your thing. You know, my heroes growing up, 
didn't live this world, you know? So it, it can't be healthy. I think we'll find over years how it affects the brain, how it affects creatives and businessmen with who do pay, pay attention to that stuff and read the comments and stuff like that. So I don't want to be that sample size. I'm not going to be- You're not trying to get pay. that digital CTE of no, reading comments yeah, every day? I already a, yeah, I already have enough CTE, man. <laughs> I'm about to drive my Porsche off the PCH. But um, I think <laughs> with the Reddit group, yeah, you, it, it's interesting because, you know, the watch everything you do and th there's there's some things that I'm on board with. And then the only there's a small select group on there who are just evil. So there's difference between hate, which I get. I give you a lot to hate on. I do a lot of content. I make a lot of jokes. I offend a lot of people. I get that. You don't get to a certain level without giving a lot of haters. You just don't. If you look at Logan Paul, Drake, LeBron James, name some, the massive celebrities that we have in this world there. And you go online, you read their comments or my buddy, Joe Rogan, nobody, you know, I don't know anybody gets more hate than that guy, but he gets more love. You know, I'm in the business of likability. So if you watch my podcast, you buy a ticket to my stand up, you buy the merch, you buy the whiskey, you're a fan. I make a living off likability. So I just don't, I don't give the hate energy as far as the Reddit goes. I get it. And some of them are really funny, and I appreciate those guys, whether it's good or bad towards me. It gets a little dicey when they, they want to, I just, I don't understand when they, cro when they cross the line, when it gets into my personal life. Right. It's like, I'm not Tom Cruise, dude. Why the right. fuck you give us, who cares about that stuff? You know, and thank God my wife, she's been with me since I was in the UFC. So when you're fighting UFC, you get a lot of love, you get a lot of hate. There's no in between if you're doing it right. So she's conditioned to that. She doesn't pay attention to it. She doesn't care, you know, at this point. So thank God for that. But the only time I don't like is when they make it super personal. It's about the kids. It's about, you know, certain things. But, you know, nobody's harder uh, on, on, on me than myself. You know, there's nothing they can say that I don't tell myself usually on a daily basis. So trust me, it's way worse, whatever they're putting out. So although I, you know, I get it, I appreciate it. And, you know, I just don't give it energy. I think one of the things that I have going for me is, you know, I post and ghost. I don't pay attention to that stuff, but then I'm also, you know, I'm on the road, whatever it is, 30 weekends a year. I, you know, if I, I get done with this interview, I go get coffee. I can't go down the street without somebody telling, hey, Brandon, love you, man. So to, that's real. That's what I care about. Social media, it's a factor for sure, but it's not the end all be all. I think when people realize that, that one in, if you're walking down the street, one in 10 people are on social media, especially on Twitter, that you can't give your self-value, your self-worth of what social media is. You're going to live a much happier life. So that Reddit group, they're going to do their thing, you know, and that comes with the territory and I was built for it. That's why God gave me big shoulders. But, um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, they're going to clip that. They're going to love that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I was built for it. And then also you look, you know, if you look at me, I know. You know, I probably look like the guy that bored you in high school. And, and, you know, they'll use some of that, you know, like, oh, Brendan's a bully or whatever. And I know I look like the guy, but if they actually knew me, you know, these people know me. They've never met me. You know, they're not buying tickets to a show. So I don't give it energy because if I did, I wouldn't have a business. I wouldn't have this house that I'm talking to you guys in right now. So, um, you know, I think it, it, it get the lines get blurred where it's like, oh, he's a big, strong guy. He's fighting UFC. He can handle this. We There's no limits. Everything's on off limits he, he there's nothing off limits we can go as hard as we want him it's like it actually hurts my feelings man it's actually not cool you know but 
I jokes, I'm all for. I'm all for, man. I'm a professional comic. We roast each other, we do our thing. So if it's funny, it's witty, fire away. But when you start going towards the once once you start going towards the personal side, well then you've crossed the boundary, you know? And now also if you want to have this conversation in person, you want to offend me, we can do that. I can do that. We can see how it goes for you. That's never happened. As long as I've been in entertainment, I've never run into anybody that said something to my face. So I just, I get what they're doing. If it's funny, it's witty, and they're going to do their thing, I actually appreciate it. But when you cross the boundary and you, you disrespect me a different way, you know, that, that's where I have an issue with it. When I say issue with it, it means that it hurts my feelings. I'm not going to do nothing to you. I'm not going to be, I'm not the bully you expect me to be. And then also, I think that, that subreddit has crossed the point. Not all of them. Some of them are actually just funny and they're fans and they just show it in a different way. And I understand that at my age. But, you know, a lot of them have crossed that boundary where, you know, they hide behind this keyboard and they want to do evil things, which I just, I don't understand. That's to me, it's like, and for what? For what? Because I do stand up. You don't have to buy a ticket because I do free podcasts. That triggers you. Right. We well, don't have to watch. You know, so I just, I'm just cut from a different cloth. I, I'm just a positive person. Now, there's some podcasters that will lean into it. And if there's beef between comics, they'll, they'll lean into that. And they like that, that controversy and that drama all the time. Like it's Real Housewives of LA. And I would probably be much more famous and much further along my career if I entertained that. I just can't do it. Sometimes I think, man, I should try that. It's just not what I do. I don't like being negative. I'm a positive person. I enjoy helping people out. So, you know, it's just heavy lies the crown with that stuff, man. You were you were saying how when you moved to LA. That was a long rant. I apologize. <laughs> no, it's good. We're, there, a whole, you know, someone's going to clip that. Some hater will clip that. Hopefully, but somehow, hopefully that hate pushes us forward somehow. But you were talking about moving to LA and how that was like a big change. You basically like Sean and I both lived in San Francisco when we started internet companies and like having a crew, we were in each other's crew. And we had a handful of others where you like succeed together. That's like the greatest thing ever because it, like it's, it's a, it's fun and B it's actually useful. Like you, you piggyback off each other and you, and you motivate one another and you actually like you invest in each other, whatever. It's like practical. You're in this cool world. It's like you, Bobby Lee, Theo Vaughn, Crystalia, Andrew Santino, uh, Andrew Schultz is a little bit outside of that, but somewhat inside of that. Joe He's Rogan. Probably... Yeah, you got this like crew and like it doesn't like 10 years ago, you know, there was Rogan, but there weren't really like a lot of like comedy YouTube channels like or podcasts. But right now, like if I go on my YouTube app, like it's basically like a Theo Vaughn or Brendan Schaub clip like constantly or like the, the clip of Bobby Lee telling the story about uh <laughs> Uh, the Down that syndrome might be the thing. most viral clip in uh, comedy podcast history. That with it's hilarious. Yes. It's so funny where he talks about getting molested by a Down syndrome <laughs> guy. It's one of the funniest. I mean, it, it's so like I can't go on without seeing like a funniest bits from whatever. Like, and it's like someone in your crew. What's that like behind the scenes? Like, are you guys? Uh, is this like a um, like Sean and I? Sometimes when we want to get like popular on X, Y, and Z, we're like, Hey, can you like this? Can you share this? Yeah. Or Hey, do you want to come on my thing? You come. Like, it's like it's. It's somewhat organized, somewhat or or not just sharing like we're just... sharing, being like, yo, I'm doing this and it's working. Like, uh, yes, you know, um, what's that like? You know what? You have like a group text with, and you're like, hey, Theo, like, uh, I've found that like this type of like because you guys. Uh, and then by the way, I don't know if we told you this. If you go and look at when we first started MFM, my first million, 
we just bought the same fucking red sofa <laughs> lounge chairs that you had yeah. because oh, I love it because I would see those on the I would see those on the thumbnail and I'm like yeah oh that red pops that, like you make it, it makes you want to click it and I noticed that you and Theo particularly you I bet you probably started it you had right. these like pretty eye catching studios they're, they're not like particularly fancy but they're just yeah. like they're just like an eye catching and you're changing them constantly and I've yeah. noticed Theo does the same thing he's constantly changing the, yep. the set same with Andrew Schultz. Are you guys like sharing all these tactics like uh, when yeah. we're doing this, it's working or like, here's how much we're paying for blank or like you guys, let's pump each other around this thing. Yeah. You know, going back to kind of the the whole like kind of it, it was almost like a team, you know, and, I, you know, the team captain, all this starts from Joe Rogan. So before I hit the comment, but he doesn't give a shit about any of that, does he? He just does whatever the fuck he wants in it. Sometimes it he, works. He does whatever he wants and he's the leader of the pack. But. He's also the reason why we embrace each other. And, you know, five, six years ago, seven years ago at the comedy store is the comedy rap pack. And we were the, we were the rap pack and we were the guys and every show was sold out. Our names on the marquee and Rogan, there was a, there was kind of a, you know, their structure. Like we don't tear each other down. We support each other. Um, and I heard Isaiah Thomas say this when he went on uh, my uh, boys podcast, uh, All the Smoke with Matt Barnes. Um, and uh, Isaiah Thomas said this and it really resonated with me. He was on there. He's talking about Michael Jordan. And he goes, clearly, I'm not a black man. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I'm not black. But it's Isaiah, actually not that clear, by the way. <laughs> you could be. <laughs> you could no be. No one knows what I am, dude. No one yeah, knows what I am. If yeah, you told like, me you had a little in you, it wouldn't be surprising. Yeah, it's not that get, clear, actually. Yeah, Earlier, when you said uh, Denver or Buffalo Bills didn't want slow white guys, I was like, yeah, so you're in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you made the team, right? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you're telling me you're not Aaron Hernandez? No, but. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, where was I? Oh. So we're this comedy rap pack. No, no, you're saying that, Isaiah that, Thomas said something. Yeah, Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, so Isaiah Thomas said this, and I saw a clip that Matt Barnes posted, and I love those guys. I started with them at Showtime, and they're crushing it. But Isaiah Thomas, they brought up Michael Jordan, and Isaiah Thomas has issues with Michael Jordan. And uh, Matt Barnes goes, we'd love to have him on. And uh, Isaiah's like, it's a tough one. He doesn't do interviews. Then Isaiah said, as an alumni from the NBA, as, as alumni, and you guys are alumni, we're this tight fraternity. And not only are we a tight fraternity that we've reached certain levels of the NBA in this, in, you know, in this lane that we're in, but we're also black men. And it is our duty to support each other. It is our duty to come on the shows and make sure you guys get views, make sure people get your name out there. That, that is something that as we, it's our responsibility being in this small group, in this small club. And back probably seven years ago, you know, Rogan, it was the same thing. It is your, it is your duty to come on other shows, to broaden the audience, to bring everybody into these great talents. You know, whether it's, you know, back in the day, find the kid outside Joe Rogan, find the kid was the launching pad. If you go through it, you look at Tim Dillon, Andrew Schultz, Santino, Theo Vaughn, Chris DeLitt. You look at all the people that came on there and just exploded. Now, is it because it the find the kid audience? Maybe helped a little. It's because those guys are so goddamn talented. And once people saw who they were, they out-succeeded Finding the Kid. They've gone on, they've blown the roof off things now. But if you look back on Finding the Kid, and I take so much pride in joining that, where we had these guys on before they were massive. And as Isaiah Thomas says, it is our duty to do that. So that resonated with me. Now, this is seven, eight years ago, uh, even 
10 years ago when Fire Kids first started out, we'd have all these comments on stuff like that. And then the pandemic hits. The, the pandemic hits and the leader of the Rat Pack leaves, Joe Rogan leaves, and the comedy store shuts down, Comedy in LA shuts down, then Tom Segura leaves, and then Joey Diaz leaves, then Tim Dillon leaves, then Theo Vaughn leaves, and then uh, Brian goes through some bullshit Me Too movement, and he has to leave. And Chris D'Elia goes some, through some bullshit Me Too movement, and Chris D'Elia has to leave. And I'm on this island by myself. I'm like, whoa, where is everybody? I thought, let's, all right, the troops, although we're not in LA, we got to rally. Let's rally around each other. And it broke my heart, man. It broke my, that, no, those days are over, dude. You got to figure it out on your own. Those days are over. The days of, you know, being in the, in, in the hallways at the comedy store and the improv and the ice house and the laugh factory were, you know, hey, podcast tomorrow. Yeah, podcast tomorrow. Those days are gone. Everyone's, they made it. Everyone's in their lane. You got to figure it out on your own now. It's weird because, you know, I was at the comedy store last night and I always have this, uh, it takes me a while. I sit in the parking lot for a while because it just kind of reminds me when I pull up now that I used to pull up and Rogan would pull up in his Porsche and we'd park next to each other and talk shop about the cars and what's next. And then Santino would pull up and we talked to him and Chris D'Elia and then Brian would pull up and Bobby Lee and Theo and we'd be in there. And there it's was like a college. Fun. It was the best. It was, it was the absolute best. And I wish five, six, seven years ago, somebody would have tapped us on the show. I'm like, hey, fellas, in two years, this is all gone. You, I didn't realize at the moment that that was the golden age and what we were doing was so special. We took it for granted. And I, I didn't realize at the time how special it was in, in, my, in my theater where my fish tank are and it, like my man cave. I, I have four pictures from those days. I just put them up. Right, you know, when they were done five, six, seven years ago, I didn't realize that in that picture, in that frozen moment, that was the best time ever for, for me as far as uh, just being in that symbiotic like team with such a team, man. Yeah. There's a special moment. You know, now we're all, everyone's doing well. We still talk, we have our group chats, but as far as like, you know, seeing each other all the time, like those days are over, man. And it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's it's important to have one of those like uh, pay it forward cultures because it's like uh, that. I think Silicon Valley has that too, which, which which is there's not really that much gatekeeping. You can go to the most successful, richest guy in Silicon Valley; he'll give you time. Doesn't matter who you are, um, and if you need a favor, they'll give you a favor. With, they'll they'll give you either advice or money or an intro, and there's no like pay it back. It's all pay it forward because they got helped by the person before them, and correctly that stayed. Together now, like you said, with the pandemic, a bunch of people moved out of Silicon Valley. So who knows what will happen now? It takes a little longer in our world to to sort of see those effects. But I remember when I was in San Francisco, living in San Francisco, kind of on the come up, me and Sam met doing one of these like founder masterminds where we would get dinner for hours and talk like, okay, what are you doing? How's that going? What am I doing? How's that going? How can we yeah. help each other out? And it felt like... um you know, in Toy Story, when when they go to that arcade and those little the little minions are, are in the machine, and it's like the claw, and the claw selects one and takes it away, and that's like you, you know they made it, they they got the fame, the fortune, they got picked, but the other minions weren't pulling them down; they were like pushing them up, like congrats, yes, brother, go for it, you know, like you know you you made it out, and because it's like that in Silicon Valley, you'll know somebody and they're broke for the four years you know them, 
And then they're worth $150 million overnight. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, yeah. the claw picked you and you won. Yeah, the claw got yeah, you. The, the claw, Congrats. which is Mark Zuckerberg buying your company, <laughs> happened. Uh, and like, it's the same thing in entertainment. Someone hits a breakout point and now they're famous. They're, you know, they made it. And there's a question of like, does it, do you just get left in the dust? Do you resent people when they're happening? Or do you, you realize that the rising tide lifts all boats and you really want I mean, to be in that rising tide type of. Yeah. And in, in just a side note in San Francisco, now pay it forward. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Worry about getting stabbed out there. <laughs> right. you know, forget, forget starting to like, Will your friend watch, you ba- watch your back? Literally. Like <laughs> you got, you got to actually watch his other's back physically. <laughs> just survive the day. You know, <laughs> paying it yeah. forward is carrying a gun. So your buddy didn't get stabbed in the neck. Yeah, it's insane. Um, you, uh, I, I was going to ask a, a slightly different question, but you, I saw a few interviews that were cool. One, it was uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone and then Chael Sonnen. And I think actually Michael Bisbing said the same thing where they were talking about like in the locker room before they fight. And they're like, I think it was Chael. He's like, people think that like we're tough guys and like oof. maybe we we kind of are. But like every single time before a fight, I think my last one should have been my last one. What am I doing? I hate this. And then like Michael Bisbing, who's like a cocky dude and like is very confident. He was like, this is the worst thing ever. And then I think Cowboy Cerrone was like, I throw up before every fight. I'm so afraid. And then you had a really cool thing where you're like, I just beat up uh, Crow Cop. So if you don't listen, if you don't know anything about UFC, Crow Cop is like one of the the, the goats of MMA and he's scary as shit. Like he's like yeah. this Croatian dude, but like you think he's like a scary Russian Robocop type of guy. Yeah. And you knocked him out. And I remember, like you said, you're like, I knocked him out. And backstage, I went and said, like, thank you or something or like, you know, like good fight. And he like had ice on his head. And you're like, what the fuck am I doing? I don't want to like do this for my life. I don't want to be 40 or 38 or however old he was when you when you beat him up. But uh, what's that like backstage? The 15, 30 minutes before you're about to go fight to the death in your underwear in front of a million people. Yeah, I think I don't I don't know if I was the I might have been the one of the first fighters to ever say that, you know, but a lot of guys, they want to give off the persona that, oh, we're these warriors. It's like gladiator. We, we can't wait to get out there. But I'm telling you, so, and I won't mention names. I've seen dudes cry backstage. They don't want to go out there. I've seen their coaches slap them. Like, dude, you have to go out there. It's just, I I just don't think it's natural. You know, I think it's a level of intelligence of your body and your mind going, hey, you're about to get hurt. Do not go out there. So the anxiety is through the roof. And Every fight, I was like, what am I doing, man? I was like so disappointed in myself. And then once I hit the cage for most of my career, I was okay. I knew it was time to get out when I hit the cage. I'm like, dude, don't get hurt. Get out of here. You got so much more to do in this life. You cannot, you know, suffer a concussion. We have got to figure this out. So, you know, I think there's truth and honesty for most fighters where it's like, it's terrifying. It's to me, it was the worst gig in the world. There's some... The highs are the highest in the world. The the peaks are the best. The valleys are the lowest there can be in professional sports or maybe in life. It's a tough gig, man. You know, so I think the more fighters talk about like, hey, we're human, man. And and it is scary going out there. And I think the more fighters talk about it, the more people can relate to it. Because most people, if you ever, man, if, if tonight or today after this podcast, you go to the coffee shop and you're getting your coffee and some guy goes, you have some altercation. The guy goes, hey, man, tomorrow at 1 p.m., you and I are fighting. You're like, oh, I guess we got to fight. Imagine the anxiety you're going to have that night, that morning, walk in that coffee shop. And that's fighting Billy, you know, from in San Francisco, who's going to, you know, fight you over coffee. And he probably doesn't have skills. 
Now, heighten that times a thousand. Not only do you know exactly when you're going to get in a fisticuff, but the guy happens to be, I don't know, top 10 in the world at beating people up in your underwear and everybody's <laughs> going to see it. You know what I'm saying? It's human n- nature to be like, this is not healthy. <laughs> Dude, we've been, we, this, through this podcast and just our friends, it's been cool to like see some of our friends become worth hundreds of millions or even billion dollars. And it's cool because we'll talk to them like just hanging out and they'll be like, I have to fire this person and I'm so afraid to do it like I that I haven't done it in like eight months. Like I'm afraid of the confrontation. And what that does is it like normalizes fear and you're like, oh, therefore I can do it. And I remember like thinking about like Habib and I'm like, dude, this guy is like Terminator. Like he doesn't show that much fear. And then I saw some of these other tough guys like say like, oh, no, like it's it's miserable. I've always wanted like a Connor or a Habib, like some of the 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 most outspoken, confident guys. I like I want to hear them say like, I'm about to piss my pants because whenever I hear that, I'm like, that's fucking gold. I could do anything. If this yeah. guy's afraid, if this guy's afraid, which I know they are, even if they don't say it, I know they are. I think there are levels to like, it does seem like there are some guys like a Habib or something like that, where they're like, they're more stoic than others, but there is like, there's always self-doubt. And I think it's really cool when I see some of these killers, like actually say that it, it gives me like, it oddly gives me hope. Yeah. I think it makes them human. I, you know, I think it would do athletes just so much more in the public eye if, you know, if before the Super Bowl or even after the Super Bowl, Tom Brady be like, I'm scared shitless, man. That defense was good. You know, I'm, I'm terrified to get hit and throw interceptions and fail. I just think more people would relate to it. Were we there can, ever were there ever any athletes that you know of or hung out with uh, MMA guys or boxers where they were built different? Where they're like, this person's looking forward to a fight, or do you think unilaterally it was? No, there, there's there's people where you know ignorance is bliss, right? You know, it's like there there's guys I trained with, and I I'd be a, two weeks out from the fight, you know, and the camp's tailoring down. I'm like, oh man, the fights in two weeks, man, Saturday. And the guys are like, no, exciting, right? I'm like. No, dude, this is terrible. <laughs> but they, it's just, there's certain guys where they live for it. You know, there's guys like the the Diaz brothers, even though they said that they hate fighting, I think there's some guy like a Kane Velasquez. There's certain guys that just thrive in that, Justin Gaethje, who they just, they just love the violence. They just, there's nothing, they were just born warriors, you know, and they're not thinking about businesses or, you know, uh, 10 years down the road or 15 years down the road. It's just, they were meant to do this. And God bless them. You need people like that. God bless them. Even if you're not into UFC, if you're listening to this, go and look up Justin Gaethje post-fight Michael Chandler on YouTube. He says this amazing thing. He goes, I was born in the wrong era. I should have been a gladiator so I could kill this person in front of all of you because that's what I'm built to do. And that's what I love. I'm Correct. here to fight to the death. And I heard that. And I'm like, there's there's two different types of humans. I'm one and he's the other. <laughs> yeah, it was just true. crazy. True. And I think, you know, I, I think for me, it came to realization because I've known Justin Gaethje since he was in college. I used to go up to University of Northern Colorado and wrestle to get ready for my UFC fight. So I saw Justin at a young age. He's always been like that. And again, when I'd be in the locker rooms or we'd be in the training camps and those guys would talk like that, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm built like a warrior. Like uh, you would look at me. I think that's one of the reasons I get hate from these guys and think it's okay to treat me the way that I, that they do, because, you know, I look like a gladiator. I'm this big dude with tattoos and cauliflower ears, but really push come to shove. I'm the guy behind going, like, I don't want to be in the front fucking lines, man. That's not what I want to do. 
you know? So, <laughs> I, <laughs> so I get the treatment of these warriors, but really I'm the guy in the back playing the trombone, holding the flag, you know, <laughs> making sure I look good. One of our, Sean and I talked about this after Rose Namajunas, this, uh, uh, UFC fighter. She, uh, like before the fight, you see her saying, I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm the best. And it doesn't matter if you like UFC or not. It makes you cry because you're just like, there's so much like you have to talk yourself up to this. And it's just so like motivational, inspiring, cute. I don't know what you want to call it, but it's awesome. It's like one of my favorite moments of seeing her say that. And then afterwards, Joe goes, I saw you saying you're the best. What's up with that? And she goes, because I am the best. And you like <laughs> that's her you're convincing like, herself yeah. that she's the best. It's like so, good. so much self-doubt. And it's just like, no, you're the best. And because. And it, I'm assuming she worked with a mental coach, which I did too when I was fighting. You work with these high-level mental coaches. They tell you that. You fight the negative thought in your head with a positive, and you say it out loud. So that's just her freaking trying to keep the the demons at the door. Go, I'm the best. I'm the best. You know what I love about this podcast is usually when people bring up fighting, for me, it's a nightmare. It's a <laughs> nightmare. Like, especially if, I, if I'm doing a, a show outside, like, whether it's a Comedy Central, if it's a TV show and they talk fighting, usually they have no clue about UFC. Like, even you brought up Rose, you brought up Justin Gaethje and the Michael Chandler stuff. Like, thank God you guys have an insight into the UFC, like current UFC world. I'll do some shows and be like, so what's your take on Chuck Liddell and, for, and Tank Abbott? You think that's still going to happen? Like, I'm like, oh, like dude, they have Alzheimer's, man. Yeah, They're they not in like, it anymore. Like, How is Conrad <laughs> McGregor doing? No, man, we're super fans. That's why. Uh, that's why it's cool to hang out with you. We've had. We've talked. I've talked to Michael Bisbing, Ben Askren. We've had Ariel Hawani on. Your boy. Which I know you guys had. Uh, <laughs> you guys had a spat. Uh, we've had. Uh, who else? Uh, a bunch of people in that world. It, it, it's always fun to talk to you guys because, like. Even though, like, the intensity level that you're doing, it's, like, literally life and death. Starting a business is, like, a percentage of that. But it's, like, I can't do this. I'm freaking out. I don't know how to do this. Like, you constantly feel, like, inferior. Oh, there's similarities with all of it. With all of it, whether you're a UFC fighter or you're an entrepreneur, there's similarities where you bake on yourself and it's on you. And the peaks and valleys are insane. Either way, so there's takeaways from both sides. You know, there's they definitely overlap. You know, you mentioned Aero Hawani, right? And I... There's that, and I think it's a, a fan thing. You know, I've had spats with over the years. It's just going to happen. I don't really entertain it. But I have no animosity towards Ariel. You know, I'll do interviews, whether, whatever it is, and go, so you and Dana don't like each other. No, I have, I have no anim. I, I, I don't dislike anybody. You know, I, I think that might be one of the reasons, too, why the haters, they can't stand it because they they want that they want that drama they want something to feed off of they call it feeding the trolls i just don't entertain that i think that is you know upsets them it's just not what i do so when Aaron and i were having our thing man I, I made a mistake i was on the fight campaign i said some things i shouldn't have said he was rightfully so to get upset so he went on a show and did his thing all good man that's how it goes you know i take accountability there that's on me but the is the best journalist we have i listen to a show you know, I have no issues with Ariel. With Dana, man, I, if anything, I probably should be giving Dana 10% because when he made that deal with Reebok, it, you know, at the time, I was a young man. At the time, I took it personal. I thought it was a hit of, uh, against me. And it put a chip on my, when I say chip, I had an entire Pringles can on my shoulders. <laughs> and what you're talking about is uh, before you could put any logo you want, then he made a deal with Reebok and it's just, they are the guys. Yeah, I lost, a, you know, probably $100,000 a fight. And, you know, and I took it personal. But being a business owner now, 
Dana wasn't made when the Reebok deal came in, man, how's this going to affect Brendan Schaub? No, dude, I'm one of the, you know, I'm one of the elephants in the circus. You got to do what's great for all the elephants, not just me. So I was, you know, a bystander and a casualty of that deal. It just didn't work out in my favor, but that pushed me faster into what I was supposed to be doing. So Dana actually helped me out. I have zero issue with Dana, huge fan, huge fan. But I think fans, some people, for whatever reason, they can't get over that. It's like, well, no, he screwed you over and look, and you have to retire and he did this. I'm like, no, he did me a favor, guys. That was 12 years ago. It's all good. He's doing great. He's worth more money than God. I'm doing pretty good. I had zero. If he called me today, I was like, hey, man, we need you to do this. No doubt. I'll help you out. No problem. Well, dude, you're the man. You, um, I said earlier that we had Rob on and he, like I knew Rob growing up as a skater. And then he came on and he like just surprised us so much. I think his his video has uh, hundreds of thousands of views that when we did with him, which is good for us. And uh, you're kind of in that category where you're where I'm like, I had good expectations uh, because I listened to you a lot, but you're a lot more insightful than I thought. And I thought you were pretty insightful and, and you're you're just a good guest. Maybe next time you'll have a better uh, setup. Instead of just being on your iPhone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, here's but... <laughs> the thing. Yeah, so here, here, here's the thing about that. So I don't own a computer. My company, like Thick Boy Network has whatever, 12, 15 computers. I'm, I'm like the anti, um, I'm the anti kind of technology guy. I don't like. That seems, that seems good for a internet company owner. I know, right? <laughs> no, Mark, yeah. Can you tell I'm going to fail by next year? No. Um, no. So yeah, we, we did the same with a. Uh, there's a guy, Mark Laurie, who bought the Timberwolves. He, he's a like famous entrepreneur. He's a billionaire. And he came on. He was doing the same thing. He's like, is this good, guys? He put his iPhone on a chair on top of his you're, dining you're table. A billionaire, dude. And he stood up and he talked. And we were like, do you, can you use your computer? Oh, I, don't, I don't own a computer. And we were like, it hits different when a billionaire says it. It's like, and you know, if somebody else says it, you're just like, man, what a schmuck. And then you hear him say, it, you're like, this guy knows what this guy knows how to live. Yeah, he got it. <laughs> he's not talking well, he down says by it, these fucking computers. He says it because like he's got a person. You know, he's got people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, he's like, I, I don't think, have computers, but I have humans. Yeah, no, I I owe you guys. Next time we do this, I'll do it at Thick Boy Studios. Usually every Wednesday I'm in studio, but uh today, because um yesterday I did three podcasts in a row, that a, a two hour meeting for this new project I'm doing. So I started at 7.30 a.m. And then by the time I got done with that meeting, I was, I was home around five, went and bought my kids lizards, put, fed them dinner, went, put them to bed, then rushed over to the comedy store. And I got home at 12.30 last night. So today's my first off day and I don't know how long. And then tomorrow I'm on tour in Atlanta, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'm in Atlanta doing shows. So usually I'm always in studio and I have the team set up so it looks professional. So I owe you guys. I owe you guys. But <laughs> good, not, I, I hate electric cars. I think they're a disaster. I don't <laughs> like electric cars. I don't like iPhones. I'm about to switch to a flip phone. I just I don't I just don't subscribe to it, man. I don't think it's healthy. <laughs> Let's add a couple zeros to your net worth and then we'll call it cool. But until yeah. then, we're no, going right to call it. Right now, I look like a tool. Right <laughs> you're now it's you're like, a fucking caveman. You're a caveman. <laughs> but like, maybe, maybe, maybe just add, let's add a few zeros and we'll call you a, a genius. But until then, you're you're Neanderthal. Yeah, yeah. Until then, I'm just this broke guy doing it on an iPhone 7. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, thank you for doing this. You're amazing. And we and we we appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, besides my setup, this got sad fast at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, that's the episode. <laughs>